You just haven't acquired a taste for his pitching yet. Nor will I ever. I don't this, is a, this is a Mark Brown problem, not a Kevin Gray problem. Oh, boy, Andrew. It's like I had a professor who would always say, if an art critic wants to say something bad about the Mona Lisa, it says more about the critic than it says about the Mona Lisa. And I guess that's me with Kevin Gregg. Wait, in this scenario, with the Mona Lisa, or are you the art critic, or are you the professor? I am Kevin Gregg. Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown, and we are recording this episode on Thursday August the 22nd, 2013, the Orioles are about to begin a crucial three-game series against the Oakland Athletics this weekend as they find themselves three games behind the Oakland Athletics. So, theoretically, with a sweep, they could bring themselves into a tie for the second wildcard spot. And I am joined this evening by Stacy Fulkemer. Stacy, how's it going? It's going great. I'm very happy to be doing this podcast the day after a win instead of the day after a sweep by the Rays. Just imagine how much more bummed we would be if they had not won that game on Wednesday night. Like, it would just be such a bummer. It would not be pretty, that's for sure. Because they really should have won two out of those three games. The Just that Monday game was so frustrating in, in so sure. many ways. Frustrating and long. <laughs> Coming on the heels of... The Diamondbacks series, where it was just, I can't even, I can't even muster the words to just express the disappointment. But my flagging hopes have been hopes have been bolstered by that win, and hopefully the Orioles. I mean, it's not like must win, but if they don't win at least two out of three against Oakland, it's not going to be a good situation. Because like if they get swept, they're six out. If they lose two out of three, they're four out. So they need to be moving in the right direction at this point. There's not a lot of baseball left. and Not to mention, if they fall any farther behind, Cleveland has already passed the Orioles in the standings, so they now have two teams to leapfrog, and the Yankees are only half a game behind of the Orioles. So, you know, they need to win not just to pull back ground on Oakland, but to keep other teams from getting between them and Oakland. Yeah, and I think if, if they get swept this weekend, I think I'm going to be uh, closing the book on the 20. 20- 13 Orioles. Right, like on, on Wednesday afternoon, the Orioles started announcing that they were going to be sending out postseason ticket invoices to the season ticket holders. So, Stacy, I guess you can look forward to getting that mm-hmm. I'm soon. I'm very much looking forward to having a hold put on my credit card. And I remember how exciting it was last year when that news came out because it was like, holy crap, this playoffs thing might really be real because I'm sure for like, you know, teams that are good every year, it's like, oh, well, whatever, this is just part of the routine, but you know, last year for Orioles fans, that was like, whoa, I guess that's something that really needs to happen because they might make the playoffs. And they did make the playoffs. And this year they might make the playoffs. So it's time to sell some playoff tickets. It just still seems yeah. kind of crazy. It does seem crazy. I mean, it's just none of us are optimistic enough, I think, to. But I guess, you know, every team, you know, they have these deadlines in order to get things done. And this is the deadline that if you're a certain within a certain, you know, distance of a playoff spot, then that's. That's kind of what you start doing because right. the end of the season is going to be here before we know it. Right, and you it's, can't just wait until they're two games out with like a week to play to be like, oh, I guess we better sell some playoff tickets just in case they make a run here. So, because first yeah. they got to get the season ticket holders getting the first priority, and then they got to set up. Well, how do we sell to the general public? Like last year, the Orioles made sure that uh, you had to be in 
it was it DC Maryland Virginia or it was within the mass and broadcast radius or something mm-hmm. to to buy in the first wave or the first several waves of tickets even I think. Right. Well, first, the, the first thing they do is if you have a season ticket plan, you get assigned a game like within like wherever your season tickets are mm-hmm. based on like for the 13 game plan, you would get one game from the division series, one game from the ALCS, one game from the World Series. And they like send you an invoice in the mail saying, here are your three games. And if you're 29, you get more. If you're 81, you get all of mm-hmm. them. And then you have a deadline that they hold those tickets for you as a season ticket holder. And yeah. once that's done, then they send out those codes yeah. like that everyone was passing around to each other where you can buy, I think, what, two tickets for every one ticket season ticket you have um, for all of the games. So by the time it gets to the general public, I don't even know. I don't know how if it's, you know, if you can even just go on and buy it. Luckily, I didn't have to last year. And hopefully this year I won't have to either. Um, but and. Not because they're not in the playoffs. Right. Because you're a season ticket holder now. That's so. right. The perks of a season being a season ticket holder. So that was uh, that was what happened there. And so I think the deadline for that is like September the 6th, if I read right. But well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, the Orioles are not out of it. They they could we they could be way better than they are, which I guess is the frustrating part, Stacy, because we actually have expectations that they should win every night. Right. And I think the losses, as everyone listening to this knows, are they're not your garden variety losses. I mean, some of them are. And those ones are always a little bit easier to take because every team loses, even the best team loses. But the way that they have been losing, they have had leaves. They've blown leaves. The bullpen has melted down. They have, you know, left 15 runners on base and gotten 10 hits off of David Price in five innings, but, you know, can't score more than two runs. Like, they how just... does that even happen? Seriously, the Orioles showed us, but how? I don't know. How do they, they do it? They said it was like the fifth time it's happened since 1912 or something. Yeah. That's how ridiculous that was. So it's just, and I feel like, it's. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe every team feels this way. I don't know. But I know that when the Orioles were terrible, it seemed like, all I wanted was for them to not embarrass me. Yeah. And they did over and over and over again. They lost with, you know, balls going up players' jerseys. And, you know, they lost 30-3, to which today is the anniversary of. Oh, is it really? And, oh, man. Yep, this day in 2007. Which it won't be the anniversary anymore by the time people listen to this. Oh, well, that's true. Yesterday. But if you read Bird Droppings yesterday, being Thursday, then you would know. Because I put it in there. And by the but, way, for anyone out there who doesn't regularly visit Cam and Chat but likes this podcast, you should really check out Bird Droppings every morning where you will get all the interesting links that are worth reading of really any Orioles article you can find on the internet. Yeah, we try to cover it. But yeah, so it was embarrassing then. And now I feel like they, I mean, maybe just no team, maybe every fan of teams feel this way. It just, But I feel like now they just can't lose, you know, five to three in a routine game where they never hold a lead and the other starting pitcher is just really good. Like it just doesn't seem to happen. Yeah. They just are, it's the losses are brutal. Like people will be listening to this on the 23rd if they listen to it when it comes out. So two years ago on August the 23rd, the Orioles actually won and they had a 49 and 77 record after they won. And it was the second game of a six-game winning streak, at the end of which they had a 53 and 77 record. So that was uh, 
that was that was where we were two years ago. So what you're saying is 2013 is not that bad. It's it's better than the days where we were watching like Jojo Reyes get blown out 10 to 2. Oh my gosh, Victor Zambrano. Yeah. Well, that was more than two years ago, but it was in the the dark days. It's it's, it's gotten better. Things have gotten better. Well, you know the Orioles have been and they're. Are they 11 games over 500 now or 10? They've been right around the 10 games over 500 mark for a long time. And, you know, they have their ups, they have their downs, but they never get too far ahead or too far behind. So they've been basically playing 500 ball overall for quite some time. Right. And and they were 46 and 36 on June the 29th, and right now they're 68 and 58. So, right, so it's basically 500 ball yeah, since that. Exactly. Since then. Yep. Two straight months almost of 500 ball. Yeah. And when the Orioles were terrible, man, all I wanted was for them to have an equal chance to win or lose every night. I think Andrew and I, <laughs> Stacy, you were talking about just you didn't want to be embarrassed to be an Orioles fan. I'm pretty sure before both of the seasons, Andrew and I were on this podcast, we were talking about, well, we just want our goal is to like not be embarrassed to wear Orioles hats out in public and have people laugh and say, oh, my gosh, the Orioles. So, like... Just, I mean, just last year, that was like our hope for the season was, well, I hope they don't embarrass us this year. And here we are now, and it's like, you know, moping about tough losses that are games they shouldn't be losing. It's not like, well, like they should be winning. That's why it's frustrating. Well, you know what, Mark? I am now a fan of a good baseball team, right. and I cannot go back no. to being a fan of it. I can't no. of a terrible baseball team. I can't do like, it. I'm not fully, I'm not fully used to being a fan of a good baseball team yet, but. I don't want to go back either. Right. I, I can't. I don't, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> I'm looking forward to many years of learning what it's like to continually be a fan of a good baseball team. Right. And, I mean, we were talking about this last time on the podcast, like, and it changes your perspective on the trading deadline because now suddenly it's like, well, some of these trades might be worth making. I mean, shoot, go for it this year. Like, you don't want to mortgage everything, but... You know, it's once you get in the playoffs, it's like, man, you want to be as good as you can be when you're in the playoffs. Right. It just doesn't come along every year. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, it's it's come a long way in two years. Yeah, it has it has come a long way. I think we've come a long way as fans, but still, when the Orioles traded um, L.J. Hose and Josh Hader for Bud Norris and the comp and, and the competitive balance draft pick and that, I kind of like I can kind of lost a little bit of hope for Hose, but Hayter was getting, I mean, just from the salad league, he was getting good reviews and people were liking him. And I was so conflicted, like, these are our prospects. What? But Bud Norris, is that a thing? And then even though people on the outside were saying it's really not a bad trade for a contending team. Right. And that's when I realized, man, I have a long way to go. Right. We do have, we do have a ways to go. But, so this is not a bad baseball team, no. even though it feels like it's like they do when they're losing, it feels like the worst thing in the world. And maybe that's our old loser instincts coming back out, Stacy. It's just like we don't know how to handle the fact that as good teams, they're still going to lose. But I mean, the problem with that is, well, you don't want to just write it off. Well, even good teams lose sometimes because basically the Orioles have written off way too many games like that. And that's why they're five and a half games back in the American League East right now instead of, you know, if they had taken care of business and if they were. You know, if they hadn't gotten swept in Arizona when they should have won two out of three, and if they were like four and two against the Mariners instead of two and four against the Mariners, kind of stuff. Like, you know, 
that's pick picked all that up, and you know the Orioles are in the, the the lead in the American League East right now. You know, it's just it's frustrating to see them on the outside looking in when they are. I mean, they're capable of being the division leading team right now. As crazy as that sounds, like if they had just done better in a few more games that they should have done better in. Yes, I think that's a. We are in the group. Are the Orioles and we as fans are in the group of of fans and teams that are good, but they're not, you know, the Cardinals or a team like that that just every year kind of knows that they're going to be in the playoffs or near the playoffs. And so I think it's just something we have to adjust to because, yes, if they didn't blow, you know, X saves would be, you know, looking at a first-place team right now. If they could just hit a little bit better with Arnold's scoring position in some games. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to expect. I don't, I think that the, that happens to all teams and the really good teams happens less. Yeah. So I think you just have to continue to just wait, you know, hope the team doesn't fall apart. And cause you know, they have the talent and you know, good teams choke a lot. Yeah. And, it's always terrible when they do for the fans and for the team, but it happens like pretty much every year. So I think, you know, we just have to keep looking at the fact that the Orioles have a solid team and they're probably going to have a solid team again next year, unless something crazy happens. So maybe next year will be the year when they, when that stuff doesn't happen, you know, I don't know. So the Orioles are a good team with a closer who's blown nine saves is what distinguishes (laughs) them this year. Now, and and we ranted about Jim Johnson enough on the last podcast, but there was one encouraging sign, um, namely that Wednesday's win, despite the textbook calling for the closer to come in in a 4-2 game, Buckshaw Walter chose to play matchups in the ninth inning. And he had O'Day pitch to a batter, although he didn't get the batter out, and he had Brian Mattis pitch to a batter. And Mattis actually looked pretty awful, if you ask me. Uh, and he walked the guy. And then it was like, okay, no more messing around. Tommy Hunter, come on. And just start throwing 98-mile-an-hour fastballs and ended ended the shenanigans. And that, yeah, was, you that know, was good. It was good. And I liked I liked that Buck stuck with Darren O'Day, even though O'Day didn't get his guy out. Yeah. He had pitched a really good eighth inning. He only threw eight pitches. Right. He looked good. And that's – and if – in the past, that you know, if that was an automatic go to the closer situation, O'Day would have been out. Whereas, like, say O'Day had come in and pitched the seventh inning in eight pitches, they would have probably sent him back out for the eighth inning. But just right. because it was the ninth, the ninth inning, inning, yeah, they wouldn't have left him in. So I think that, and the even though Will Myers got a hit off of O'Day, first of all, Will Myers is fantastic at baseball, and it was a really good at bat. You know, I think it was eight pitches or something like that. And Myers fouled some off, and then the hit that he got in the center field wasn't even hit that hard. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a shallow kind of fly ball that just fell in front of the center fielder. And so it's even with the hit, that was the right call in my opinion. I don't. I mean, I understand going to the lefty with Mattis, even though yeah, I think Mattis. It was like an eleven pitcher bat because it had a lot of foul balls, but James Bowie didn't miss one of them. No, like, and, like, and he any never of the pitches missed. he took, I don't think Mattis hit the glove like within a foot one time. Right. Every, yeah, every time he threw anything that was a strike close to the plate, Loney fouled it off. He had like seven foul balls, yep. no swings and misses. So, I mean, frankly, 
it's lucky he just walked. Right. It's lucky it didn't end up as a home run, the game-tying mm-hmm. home run. But, I mean, I liked what Buck did, and then ultimately it ended up kind of just being like, you could have said, well, why didn't you just bring in Tommy Hunter from the get-go? Yeah. But I think that, you know, we we as fans, the Orioles as a team, the whole, you know, Birdland as a whole needed that win. And Buck knew that. And so he was not, so he was doing everything in his power. Whereas I don't think, if Walter did that every ninth inning, it would get annoying. Yeah. Because, come on, if you have a good reliever in the pen, he can pitch a two, three outs before giving up two runs, generally. Yeah. You know, and, but I think, given the situation, he was not letting that game be a loss. He yeah. was doing, you know, and it, it worked. And I think, I don't know, I mean, I feel... I feel kind of bad for Jim Johnson because, I mean, there was the report, you know, on Twitter that he got up and started stretching and then he had to sit back down Yeah. <laughs> because he just assumed that he was going to come in. Yeah. But, you know, like we were saying last week, he looks so miserable out there. I mean, there might have been a tiny part of him that was relieved yeah. that he didn't have really to come to in, say. you know? Like, I but I also, he's not, he would never admit that, no. but I mean, you how could he not be like, well, okay, it's not, at least it's not my game to lose tonight. Yeah. It's, I mean, just to, if you remember when Buck Showalter got hired, they had him doing these massive commercials, like talking about the save rule and how he likes the win rule better. Well, that was an actual quote in one of his press conferences. Yeah. And everyone went gaga over it, and then they made it into a commercial, yeah. and then he did never do that again. Right. Then then this year, it's been more about the save rule than the win rule, which has been frustrating watching him stick with Jim Johnson through two two separate, three consecutive blown save situations. Like, it's bad. It was, it was bad to watch those stretches of games. And, I mean, if, if, if one of those games gets saved, instead of blowing in each of those you know the Orioles are two games closer and it's just like well why didn't you really go for the win rule buck why didn't you go for the win rule after all it's really tough to it's easy as a fan or as a baseball analyst or baseball writer to say why you know why do you have a closer why do you insist on using on the same closer and we've heard all the arguments but I think that when 30 teams do that it takes, I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to overcome. Right. You know, and so I wish that he would. I wish that Joe Walter would do more like he did last night. But I understand it. It's going to take, like, a change in, like, overall baseball thought for the closer to not be what he is. Right. There's, there's, there's 30 teams that kind of overemphasize the saves. Well, maybe not 30, but because some teams aren't even lucky enough to have leads where they get saves. But, you know, the the Orioles just needed to do something different this year. And we, we can hope that Wednesday's situation is what will prevail for the rest of the year. Because, like, I mean, I, I just don't want to see Jim Johnson no, in the key know, situations anymore this year. No, and it would really be nice if the Orioles' bats could have a few games where it's not even a question. When's the last time the Orioles weren't in a safe situation? I can't even... They beat San Francisco what ten to three. Yeah, they had a ten to two win over the uh, over San Diego. Two, the two Rockies wins were eight to four and seven to two. But they they haven't had a lot of like. It just seems wins. like yeah, it seems like they. I mean, look at 
I, I assume Jim Johnson still has the lead in saves, or if not, he's close. I haven't looked at the number lately because I don't really care about it. But even with having blown nine saves, Jim Johnson still has the most saves in baseball. Oh, that's no, Kimbrell on the Braves passed Jim Johnson. Passed him. Yep. Well, that's fine. Well, he's most saves in the American. Whatever, he's up there. Yeah, he has and, the most saves in the AL, but he also has the most blown saves in the Right, so he has pitched in the most games. He has the most saves plus the most blown saves of all closers in the American League. Yep. And so the Orioles, it just would be nice if they had more five, six run leads. Like, but that's on the offense and it's on the starting pitching. Yeah. And it's, the bull, and it's on all of them. But it just, maybe if, you know, I don't know, if they had some more routine wins that didn't require the same guy to come in the ninth inning every single time. Maybe a right, maybe maybe Jim Johnson's tired. Who knows? Who knows? I, don't know. I just I don't want to see a whole lot of him anymore. No, neither do I. I, I mean, I agree with that, but I think that you know, who knows wh- how things would be different if the team was just a little bit different, you know? Yeah, and of course, some of these games that have been way too close, you've got kind of some players that are slumping that the Orioles really need to not be slumping, such as. And and it's it pains me to say it, but Manny Machado, as much as he started the season off really hot, and people were talking about oh the doubles record being on pace for blah blah blah, well that kind of stopped. And in fact, Manny Machado has a 6.49 OPS uh, since the All Star break, which is hurting. Yep. It's it's hurting, especially since he's in the top of the order. And I mean, I have, I'm sure he'll turn it around. I have more faith, for instance, in Manny Machado turning it around than. Nick Markakis turning it around, who, speaking of bad OPSs in the second half, like since the All-Star break, Nick Markakis has a 248 batting average, 326 on-base percentage, 256 slugging percentage. Well, he doesn't have a – does he have an extra base hit? He has one double since the All-Star break. It's been over a calendar month since his last extra base hit because that was July the 19th. He's had two extra base hits since, like, June the 25th, so – in three more days, it's going to be two months since he's had more than two extra base hits. And it's just like, what, what is wrong with Nick Markakis? Like, I don't understand. And it's very, very, very frustrating. And, of course, he was batting third in the lineup until very recently, every night. And it's just like, why was he doing that for so long when it was just so obvious he was just, just not anything good at all? Like and I he think, just doesn't look good out there. If you just look at him, it's like, well, no wonder he doesn't have an extra base hit in over a month. He's like, he just doesn't look like he deserves one. Yeah, no, he looks like a wreck. And I think, as far as the lineup thing goes, I know everyone was happy when he got moved down, myself included. But you know, maybe it goes back to that. Um, you don't want to make a change just to make a change. Right. And Markakis has had his ups and downs before, but I mean, never down like this. And I guess at some point, Buck was finally like, you know what? This is not, you know, he's not getting any better. Yeah, and it took him a little bit. The standard Showalter quote, and I think he said it about Markakis when he started moving him down, was like talking about his track record and, well, he knows he'll get back to there. But what if he doesn't? Like, you know, you got to know, well, when is a player not going to go back to his track record? And, I feel like with Markakis, you got to consider maybe he's not going to, or at least not this year. Like if there's some nagging injury that needs the off season to heal, you know. Yeah, I mean that's one theory. You can't just assume the track record is going to be good, or you know he can go back to what he did before. Right. 
he's down in the lineup now. And I mean, really, it's it's very frustrating to to watch games where Nick Marquez is batting third because you know, or even when he's batting fifth. Like you see, you know, Chris Davis gets on base, Adam Jones gets on base. Matt Leader's like some combination of those guys on base, and you're just like, all right, here comes the rally. Oh, wait. Like It's Nick Markakis who can't get an extra base hit. Like He just doesn't even swing the bat like someone who should get an extra base hit. Right, you just have to cross your fingers for a walk. Which he can at least still do a little bit. Like He has 12 walks in the last 28 days, which actually isn't really that great, so I take it back. No, but it's more than... That's a lot more walks than uh, extra base hits. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> it's it is, and it's just it's it hasn't been pretty watching him, and and he's still signed for 15 million next year, and then it's like, well, I mean, if he doesn't come back around, like that has to be the end of that. Like they can't pick up the 17 and a half million dollar option in 2016 or 2015. I mean, like, they, they can't do that. I mean, maybe next year he'll, you know, his handmate injury will be fully healed. His thumb injury will be fully healed. I know, I think it's the handmate where they say it takes you a while to get your right. strength back. Right. And, I mean, maybe that's what it is. It's possible that's what it is. And, but if that's the case, then he's still not going to be good until next year. Right. If, so if you think about it, so Nick Markakis, now Nick Markakis's power decline was something that was bothering me before this year because as as I point out a lot from the year before he signed his 66 million dollar guaranteed contract which was 2008 uh, he went 306 batting average 406 on base percentage 491 slugging percentage well no wonder we were so tantalized he was 24 years old and he puts up an 897 OPS and that was awesome so it's like well gotta sign this guy Andy McPhail inks him to the contract and then the year after that, his slugging percentage declines. The year after that, his slugging percentage declines. The year after that, his slugging percentage declines. It was down to a 406 after 2000, in 2011. And it's like, well, what happened to the guy who homered 20 times and had nearly 50 doubles? Like, what happened to that guy? And he rebounded a little bit last year. In 104 games, uh, he was batting 298 with a 363 on base percentage, 471 slugging percentage. And that's a good player. Mm-hmm. That is a good player. That's not like MVP of the American League player, but that's a player, you know, the most teams in the league are going to want that player playing right field or anywhere in the outfield for their team. Like, I don't think there's any outfield in baseball that wouldn't have wanted Nick Markakis hitting like that to play last year. So I just don't know. And and then this year, he, he has his 361 slugging percentage here on... August the 22nd. He's like 79th out of the 86 qualifying batters in the American League in slugging percentage. Hey, that's gotta be. He's got. That's gotta be his injury. I mean, even the years when he wasn't. I mean, he was never anything like he was, you know, in 2008. But I mean, you read the numbers. He's. He's. We know he's not that bad. He has to still be injured. Or not still injured, but not fully recuperated. That's the only thing I can possibly imagine. And yeah. I think we have to hope for that, given, you know, you just named, mentioned his contract. We have to hope for that. Like, here's the players who have a lower slugging percentage than Nick Marcakis in the American League. Alberto Callaspo, Paul Canarco, Jose Altuve, Maisar Esturis, Elvis Andrews, Alcides Escobar, 
Jeff Keppinger. Now, if we take out Canerco, there's one thing those names have in common. They're all crappy, light-hitting middle infielders. Ming Marcakis is down with the crappy, light-hitting middle infielders. That's mm-hmm. what he's hitting like. And Canerco is and Canerco on is his retirement. Right. <laughs> Canerco is getting pushed off to the old folks' home. So, so Nick Marcakis is just down with, with those guys. And he's not like... You know, he's not like a 5'7 shortstop or second baseman. He's not uh, a player who's needing to be pushed into the retirement home. He's 29 years old, and he's down there in that category. And it's, I just, I don't understand. The Orioles need him to be better than he is, and he's just not. And I hope it comes back next year, because, like, you know, I would be sad if it was like, well, Nick Markakis, you're not good enough to be on the Orioles anymore, but... He's not. This year, he's not. I mean, there's nobody better than him, but imagine if they didn't have to pay him $15 million and they could have gone out and gotten someone in the Nate McLeod price range to come and perform like Nate McLeod has been so far this year. You know, and then maybe there's like $10 million more they could have spent on a starter. Who knows? It's just, it's costing the Orioles by having him be not living up to the contract that, that he signed. Yeah, not even close to living up to it. And and he hasn't even really been close to living up to it since, like, the year after he signed it. Like, the first year of that contract was the only one he really was close to it. It's just, ugh. I don't understand. I, and I can't stress that enough. I don't understand it. But here's the good news, Stacey. Uh, there are players on the Orioles who are heating up in the second half. Are there? There are, if you can believe it. Not least of which, uh, we have J.J. Hardy. Stacy, is he still your boyfriend now that you're married? I'm not sure how that works out there. Um, well, he wasn't. Yes, he is. Okay. Okay, so so J.J. Hardy, Stacy's boyfriend. Had... Also, let me just interject with, I have seen so many signs in the ballpark. I love J.J., you know, and stuff like that, and I don't appreciate it. You saw him first. I did. I liked him when he was on the Brewers. Did you really? Yeah. Did you watch him when he was on The Young and the Restless that one time? No. I mean, I've seen it since, but I didn't know about that until he became an Oriole. Okay. But, I mean, it's just, it's funny. It's obvious. I mean, obviously, if a person is like J.J., people are going to notice. But it's just funny to me that I've, like, seen multiple signs in the stands that are, like, referencing his handsomeness. And I'm like, you don't normally see that, you know, at the baseball game. But anyway, on to actual baseball talk. Keep talking. So J.J. Hardy in the second <laughs> half, he has a 284 batting average, 336 on base, 490 slugging percentage. He's hit six home runs in 27 games since the All-Star break. That's pretty good. Mm. He's even taken eight walks, which is a high pace for him. Yeah, I mean, for, for, for J.J., that's... Like, the 336 on base percentage is, is pretty good also. Like like you said before we started recording, that's like, for a normal player, that's like 400 on base percentage pretty much because Hardy's just uh, is, is low. Well, you know, I mean, he, J.J. is not having a bad season. I mean, he's been hovering around that 300 on base percentage. He's just on the, the good side of it now. I think he's 302 or 303. But um, he... He hasn't been having a poor season. His slugging has been pretty good, and obviously his defense. But I mean, like in the first, like if you look at his splits in the first half, he had a, a batting average on balls and play of 249, which is extremely low. And now it's up to 271, which isn't even, you know, 280 is about the what they say is the average. So 
I mean, just based on that, that's what's making him look so much better in the second half. So hopefully, if he can kind of stay in, in that range, then we'll have a good rest of the season to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, and Hardy's batting average on balls in play in his career is two seventy two. So. Oh, so he's just about there then. So, the you know, that's, that's where you would say regression to the mean is a good thing because you're going back towards a better career number. And and Hardy is not the only one who's heating up, which is the other thing that's good because I had pretty much given up hope on Matt Weeders this season, having any kind of useful season at the plate. And Matt Weeders has seven home runs in 28 games since the All-Star break. And he's batting 242 with the 300 on base percentage. Okay, that part kind of sucks. But 495 slugging percentage <laughs> uh, for a 795 OPS since the All-Star break, which isn't good particularly but it's a hundred nearly a hundred points of ops better than he was over the first half so you know that's improvement to the orioles this year which is you know get out of the question of how much of a disappointment that is compared to the expectations we had from matt weeders that he's it's never lived up to but right. improving a slot in the lineup by 100 ops from before the all-star break to after the all-star break is is significant yeah i think that it's time to put the expectations thing to rest. Right. He's 27 you know, years old. So he's, you know, when he came up in 2009, I mean, it's, that's now what, four years ago. And he, Matt Wieters is a very good baseball player and a 795 OPS from a guy who plays defense like Matt Wieters. Did you see the throw to end the, the Rays game? I, I mean, come on. he, He's very good defensively. 795 is not embarrassing. No, it's plenty. And, you know, that's a, a – I think it's time to just say this is who Matt Weers is. And hopefully who he is is not the first half of this year, but more like the second half. And if he can – if he, and that's more in his line with what he has done in his career even as we've been disappointed by him. But I think it's time to kind of re recalibrate what we expect from him and – it's sad because we all know what we wanted him to be, but he's still not bad. And and if he can keep up a you know 495 slugging percentage, that's I mean that's pretty good. And I think his on base is gonna have to go up a little bit. I know. I, his... I wish he could at least get over. I like if they call 200 batting average the the Mendoza line. I like to call 300 on base percentage the Asturias line. Yeah, if he could get up to like 320, which he has which not- in the last two years, his last two right. years on base percentage, he had 328 in 2011, 329 in 2012, and this year he's sitting at 293. It's like ah, why? And you know he's not, um, he's not ever. I don't think, and like I said, time to recalibrate. He's not ever going to be a really, really high on base guy, but he has good slugging and so if he can stay in kind of that 320 to 330-ish range that'll make it very successful and speaking of batting average balls in play his in the second half has been 224 so his so, yeah he's he's actually improved his numbers while having even worse luck mm-hmm. in terms of the batting average and balls in play. Now, now of course part of that is because weeders is slow yes wow. weeders is slow he is he is slow I've never, you know, I've never seen, I mean, I know that he's a big guy, but he's not a fat guy. Right. <laughs> and I've never seen a not fat guy run as slow as that dude runs. So Wieters' career batting average on balls in play is 283. So even considering he's a slow guy, that's still low for his career. Yeah. So I think that if, you know, if he was, if he was up near his career average, 
he would probably have 10 or 15 more points on his OBP, you know? So I don't think, but I mean, we can't rely on that. The fact, I mean, that's kind of, you know, one of the, the things to say, oh, well, maybe he's not as bad as he's playing right now, but he still is playing like that. And he still has a sub 300 on base percentage. So he needs to change yeah. something, something or and you can't, you can't have a sub. What? Yeah. You can't so, have a 293 on base. You just got to bring that up. No, but like you said, hundred points higher in the second half, 795 total, you know, weeders, the thing about JJ Hardy that makes you able to overlook his, right around 300 on a base percentage is the fact that he hits a million home runs. Right. And if yours can be that same kind of batter, then, you know, so be it. Just don't put them at the top of the lineup. Yeah, exactly. Like, and the thing about, I mean, we were talking about Weeders' balls in play, but I mean, what's making him excel in the second half is he's hitting freaking home runs. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't even count in your batting average on balls in nope. play. Just, you know, if he hits seven more home runs between now and the end of the season... I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he has 19 home runs for the season. That's yeah. that's good. It's no Chris Davis. But. It is not any Chris Davis, but who can be? So, you know, Chris Davis is actually not as hot in the second half as he was in the first half, I don't think. But he's, I mean, 46 home runs. How cool is that? Was that the fourth most in Orioles' single season history? It might even be the third by now. It's the um, oh, he's tied. Oh, tied with Jim Gentile. Jim Gentile. Yeah, that's right. So only Frank Robinson and Brie Anderson have more than him. Okay, so Chris Davis in the second half has a 9.75 OPS after having a 1.109 first half. Oh, only 9.75. Which still would lead the team by like, I think 100 points. I remember one of the first things that I ever um. One of the first first articles I ever wrote about Chris Davis was that I called him a Babip God because when he hits the ball, and this is not, and like you said, doesn't even count home runs, but when he makes contact with the ball, he is such a big, strong man. It goes. That they go, so his 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 Babip this year is 354, which is very high, but his career is 339, which is very high. It's not for... that he's lucky to do that. There's a skill yeah, right. about Chris Davis that makes that happen, and it's probably right. because so many of his balls in play end up being doubles because if he just hits the ball, it just it goes. Mm-hmm. So Chris Davis is real um, when he has a lot of trouble is when he strikes out a lot. And, you know, if you look at his K rates, they are generally around 30%. It's 30.5 for his career, but they're generally around 30%. But when he goes through long stretches, which we've seen, when he's striking out a lot, that's when he has trouble. But as long as he can get the bat on the ball, then uh, the ball goes far. And the ball, he hits doubles, and he hits, you know, line drive singles, and he does all that, all that good stuff. And so even though he's been down to only 975 OPS in the second half, I think, you know, there was a stretch. I don't know if it was right after the, yeah, it was, I think it was right after the All-Star game because people like to attribute it to the home run derby where he was striking out a ton. And he's kind of backed off of that now, and which is why I think that he's uh, not necessarily hitting as, I mean, he's still hitting hard when he hits it, but his walk, he's walking more. He went through a phase where he was swinging a bunch of pitches out of the strike zone. And you know what, Stacy? Talking about Chris Davis's balls in play, just think about this for a second. He has a 3.54 average on balls in play, and that's with like every team putting that shift on him. 
Mm-hmm. So even with that, because they know he's not going to put the ball on the ground down the third baseline, he's still 35% of the time he puts the ball into play. He still gets a hit. Yep. Even with that shift, even knowing that a lot of the grounders that would go between first and second base are just going to go right to whoever's standing there. Like, he still is is just a good enough hitter that he can make that happen. It's amazing. Yeah, and I think that I think that if they continue to shift him like that, because, you know, the shift is the new thing to do. It is. I know a lot of teams are, I mean, there have always in the past been shifts, but not really like you see nowadays. And I think maybe if, you know, what's Chris now, 27 years old, if for the next three years they shift him like that for three years, you might see his bat go down a little bit because they're figuring out where he hits the ball and they're putting a dude right there. Yeah. But he's still going to be a bad guy. And it doesn't matter if he's spraying home runs to every field. Like, if you look at his spray chart for the home runs, it's the whole stadium. He is not – I mean, he can he can launch some home runs that are dead pull home runs that go a long way. Like, Wednesday night he had a shot on Utah Street that was uh, 411 feet. We'll have another plaque out there. Maybe they'll spell his name right. I know Matt Wieters, they had uh, <laughs> one with their first plaque. They spelled his last name wrong earlier this year. But, I mean, he doesn't just pull the ball. Like, what? I mean, I guess the, the kind of the big pull home run hitters right now, if you think are like Jose Bautista, Edwin Encarnacion in Toronto, just like every one of their home runs goes to left field. They just go out. And Chris Davis doesn't care. He'll hit him any field, center field, right field, left field. Right center, left center. If, like if, and he doesn't even have to get good contact on it. Nope. Well, that's like he said. Like he says, when he's hitting the most home runs, he's not even trying to hit home runs. He's just hitting the ball where they pitch the ball. Yeah. And he's so strong Sweet that bat. instead of when Adam Jones and Adam Jones does occasionally uh, have phases where he does that, he hits the ball where they pitch the ball. And when he does that, you notice him hitting a lot of kind of opposite field singles he until they start earlier in the field. year, and then he kind of stopped. Yeah, but so for Adam, when he does that, they're opposite field singles. When Chris Davis does that, they're opposite field home runs. Right, like it, it lands in the second row of the left field seats, and you know the outfielder kind of jumps, but just can't jump quite high enough. And it's just like, it's just like he flicks his wrists and then it's gone. Like what? Like last year he had a broken bat home run, right? And he just has these like absurd home runs. Like, and it's awesome to watch. It's awesome that he is on our favorite team. Yes. You know they do that thing. They have this thing at the stadium that they do. That's um. Then they ask a baseball player what's the coolest thing that ever happened to them while they were in a stadium. And Brian Mattis's was when Chris Davis hit a broken bat home run. He said no one's ever seen that before. <laughs> well, there you go. That's that's a pretty good answer. So Chris Davis is actually on pace for 59 home runs, I think. So it'd be cool if he got hot and ended up getting. Stacy's not a fan of calling it the quote-unquote clean home run record, which I don't. I'm not really a fan of that either. But it would be the American League home run record. One way or another, if he got to 62 home runs or tied it at 61, that would be really cool to just have that be something that the the Orioles were a part of, you know, American mm-hmm. League history. Something of involving the Orioles was a part of that. And, you know, I mean, we've watched nearly every game. Like, I don't know how many games everyone that listens to this gets to watch, too, but you, know, you you've seen most of Chris Davis's home runs this year if you've been watching most of the Orioles games. And it's just it's been special to see. And hopefully he can start getting hot again, uh, maybe in this upcoming Oakland series. I don't know if Oakland's pitchers give up a lot of home runs. Uh, 
Stacy and I were looking at the the matchups, and basically everyone out there needs to write off the Saturday game right now because um, Tommy Malone is a left-handed starter whose average fastball velocity is 87.2 miles an hour. So just forget that game. Just forget about it right now. Chris Tillman. That's the game I'm going to. Chris, I'm sorry. Chris, Chris <laughs> Tillman is pitching, and they'll be all, oh, Chris Tillman's going for his 15th win again, but he's not going to get his 15th win again because soft-tossing lefty, it's just it's not happening. So just just forget about that one. But um, Dan Straley, who's pitching on Friday, allows about one home run per nine innings, and Jared Parker, who's pitching on Sunday, allows about one home run per nine innings. So, you know. Although I know I wrote off uh, Tommy Malone and them doing well against, but he actually has allowed 23 home runs in 138 innings. But it's just it won't happen for the Orioles because soft tossing lefties are their kryptonite, and that's just the way it goes. But uh, for the for the Orioles, the against Dan Straley, it will be Bud Norris. And Stacy and I were talking, and we don't hate Bud Norris no. so far. He seems like what they said he would be, which is a solid back end of the rotation kind of guy. And you know, you 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 say that, and it doesn't sound impressive. But then you remember what kind of things the Orioles have had flailing around at the back and middle and front of the rotation in recent years. Even this year. And even this year with, like, Freddie Garcia or Jake Arrieta and anything of that sort. And it's like, well, you know, if you had a rotation full of actually solid back at the end of the rotation guys, the Orioles would be... Probably again in leading the American League East. Like if if every if every starter had Bud Norris's ERA, if if in aggregate the starters had Bud Norris's ERA, they would probably be like leading the American League East because they would have probably given up in the order of like uh, 60 fewer runs or something like that, and that's substantial. So don't write that off. I like Bud Norris, but I don't know how he'll do against the Athletics this particular game. But hopefully he does well. Yes, I don't like him a lot, but I like him enough. Right. And I think that so far the trade has been successful, more successful than Scott Feldman. And and there's more time for Bud Norris to make it worth the trade because it's not a one-year rental or a partial one-year rental. There's there's two more years of Bud Norris, which I know last time on the podcast I said, well, I don't know if two years of Bud Norris is necessarily a good thing, but you know what? It, it will hopefully end up being a good thing because if he's just – Solid back end. You know what? That's not glamorous, but it'll work. It's something every team needs. It is something every team needs, and something the Orioles do not always have. So if that's one less hole they have to plug, you know, it's it's not exactly kind of a sexy move to say, well, the number four starter spot is locked down. But that's better than having to cycle through seven guys trying to find one vaguely acceptable number four starter, which is kind of what the Orioles did with number four and number five starter spots uh, for most of the season. Now, Sunday's game, Miguel Gonzalez, I don't know I don't know how good I feel about Miguel Gonzalez lately. He's just uh, he's going through a rough patch. Well, he had a couple of rough games, and they gave him a bit of extra rest, and then he had a, some decent times. But then, yeah, he's been up and down this year, which... I always go back to the fact that he, you know, he made his major league debut at 28. He was on the of baseball. So are we really surprised? I don't know. When he's on, he looks really good. Sometimes I have more confidence in him than I do uh, 
Chris Tillman, yes. who just, to me, even when he's successful, looks like he's a moment's notice. That's exactly not, right. Like, if you watch, like, I mean, even when, like, Chris Tillman, I guess, is maybe the kind of the prototype example of when they talk about guys needing to throw on a downhill plane. And he just, like, throws that fastball, and it does. You see it, like, just go straight down. There's no, like, you know, curve action to it or inside-outside action to it. It just goes straight to wherever Matt Weeders' glove is. And it's just like, how do guys not hit that for a home run every pitch? Mm-hmm. But they don't. They swing right over it sometimes. But then sometimes he throws that pitch, and maybe it doesn't go quite as downhill, and then they do hit the home run. Yeah, I think Gonzalez, I mean, I still have relative confidence in him. His problem in the last game, he didn't give up a lot of runs, but I think he, what, he walked four guys and he yeah. couldn't get out of the sixth inning. Right. So it wasn't, I would say, a successful start, but it wasn't like he imploded or anything either. So I think, you know, he's he had a couple good ones before that, and he's, I don't know, he if he can not walk a bunch of guys, he doesn't generally do that. He usually walks, you know, one or two guys. Right. He can walk one or two guys. If he had walked several less guys in the last start, he probably would have gotten at least six innings. Right. So he's not getting any extra rest this time, is he? 21-2. I don't think so. I don't think he's getting any, any extra rest this time. And he generally is a guy who does does better with extra rest. But what can you do about that? I mean, they're skipping Feldman again, it looks like. So. I'm okay with that. Yeah, me too. I am definitely okay with that. So as September comes along, we're just going to roll through quickly through the idea of September call-ups. Uh, I heard on the Masson pregame show the other day, uh, Brittany Giroli was on there and mentioned Jonathan Scope as a probable September call-up. And that's just kind of neat, just because, hey, that's one of the Orioles' top young guys, and maybe he'll come up and do something. But the thing is, if you're going to think that, don't look at his stats for Norfolk this year, because he's, it's not... Uh, you know, it's it's a thing where, well, okay, he's only 21, so he's young for AAA, and he would be young for the big leagues. But he's not gonna, he's probably not gonna come up and be Manny Machado. He he might end up then being like the late inning, uh, coming in the seventh inning after Brian Roberts just bats, and then like in the eighth and ninth inning he plays second base in the field, kind of thing. Which actually wouldn't be terrible for the Orioles to have a player like that. They do. His name is Ryan Flaherty. Oh yeah, or Alexi Casilla. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the thing about Scope is he's been uh, injured for most of the season. Right. He so has only played, a stress he's played, fracture in his spine his, or back or whatever. Yeah, so I think he has only 58 games played in the minors this year. So his staff haven't been great, but he's also, you know, part of that is like rehabbing from his, from his uh, back, you know, basically. So hopefully... You know, I'm not really worried about his stats this year, but I don't know that that means that he can help the Orioles at all in September. Yeah. So, I mean, whatever. And Kevin Gossman's going to come back, and maybe he'll pitch out of the bullpen, I guess. Although I also saw they might do a six-man rotation in September because uh, I, I don't think this is actually true, but there's virtually no off days in September. That it's it's very few. I think they have one. Yeah, there there is a significant number of games in a, in as many days. Mm-hmm. It's so you know that that might not be terrible. Yeah, but although and also Jason Hamill. Oh yeah. It's coming back. I so forgot well. about him. Maybe because so, I was trying know, to forget about him. Yeah, we get the updates. He's doing well. He might get two rehab starts before he comes back. So he'll probably be up when the rosters expand as well. So if they're going to do a six-man rotation, 
are they going to, you know, have the five now plus Hamill? Are they going to have Gosman? It remains to be seen. But yeah, they have, uh, they're off today, obviously. Then they're off Monday. And then the only other off day they have the rest of the season is September 16th. Wow. So that's a lot of games. That's so, yeah, that's, so that is, that's one off day in September. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot of games in not so many days. Which makes you wonder why baseball gave them two days off in so many weeks recently, only to pack them in in September, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to schedule 30 teams. Yeah. I mean, there are I mean, there are some Septembers where the Orioles have three days off. But, they, I mean, in August, they have five? Yeah. Five days off in August. That's a lot. All right, why couldn't they but... balance them a little more? I don't know. Whatever. We're not going to be those fans who complain about no, scheduling bias. I don't think I don't think it's I don't think it's a uh, a conspiracy or anything. Like for example, they can't play today because they're playing the Athletics, who had to fly from California. So it's not like I mean I'm not I mean it'll suck, but every team goes through it. Like the only schedule bias is the Texas and Oakland get to play freaking Seattle, Los Angeles, and Houston. Serious. Eighteen games each. Like te- I really Texas is 41 and 16 against their own division. Okay? That is insane. Yeah, I really think that I mean, I understand the excitement of playing your division more. I understand especially in September when you're almost only play your division. I understand that excitement and especially now that the Royals are good, I understand that excitement. However, if you want every division to be you know, every team in baseball, other than the division leaders, are competing for the same two postseason spots. And if you want that to happen, how can you give them an unbalanced schedule? How are the Orioles playing 19 games against the Yankees and... And Rays and, and Red Sox. And the Rays and, the, Rays. and the, the Blue Jays aren't that great this year, but they're better than the Astros. They're better than the Angels. They're better than the Mariners. How can you... Texas is 14-2 and two against Houston. They're 10 and 2 against the Angels. That's it right there. So I, I mean, mean Texas sits there with a 74 and 53 record, but it's like, oh, well, look at those records against Houston and Los Angeles. Right. I I really think that I mean, I people talk about the the most fair way to do the, you know, get playoff teams and the most fair way, of course, is to just have one giant division and then the top X go to the playoffs. Yeah. However, that's boring. Yeah. And I don't want baseball to be boring because guess what? The team at the bottom is going to be in the bottom by the third week and then they have no hope. At least if you only have a few other teams, right. there's excitement. So I don't mind the divisions. I don't mind the wild cards. But you have to make it an even playing ground. How can you – how is the Orioles' record considered equal to the Oakland's record? <laughs> When Oakland gets to play all those crappy teams. Like, okay, so the Orioles are 25 and 25 against the East, and they should be better than that probably. But yeah. uh, Oakland is 32 and 25 against the West, because again, they get to play Seattle and Los Angeles and Houston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's even worse on the day of Houston. Right. Like, because before it was like, well. Texas was beating up on like Oakland and Seattle, I guess, and and now the Angels have been bad for two years, and it's like, well, now there's there's basically three bad teams in that division. It's, yeah, you know, Oakland is twelve and three against uh, the Astros. Yeah, 
So, yeah, that's who the Orioles are chasing in the wild card. And they've gotten to play the Astros 15 times so far, and they will play them three more times, I guess. And nothing you can do about it. The Orioles just have given away too many games, and now they got to win. But they get to face the Athletics next. So that'll be their chance. Maybe they can sweep. They're not going to sweep, but maybe they can. Maybe they can win two out of three. That's what I'm yeah. hoping for. I'm hoping for Remember Tommy Malone. Right. The, the soft-tossing lefty curse is the, the biggest thing standing in the way of them in the sweep. But maybe they can win two out of three. And, and again, just, just forget about the Saturday game right now. Like if, 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 you, if you have a chance to buy tickets, think about buying tickets for another game. Uh, it, you know, just don't get your hopes up. But maybe they'll win. It could happen. They haven't, they could, you know, they haven't they lost could. to every soft-tossing lefty. Just most of them. Also, do you know that today is August 22nd, and the Rays haven't played the Angels yet? What? They have two series left with the Angels. So so the Orioles are basically all AL East all September, and the Rays will be screwing around with the Angels, who are 55 and 71. Pujols is out for the year. Josh Hamilton sucks. They have Joe Blanton like giving up Mike, more home runs than anyone. Mike Trout is having a hamstring problem, even. I don't know if they put him on. I don't think they put him on the DL, but he missed at least a game or so with it. So, yeah, the Rays get to play. Uh, they play the Yankees this weekend, and then they play the Angels, and then next month they get to play the Angels again, and the Mariners and the Twins. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so uh, you get that wild card goodbye. The first wild card, but the second course, one, the second, the second one is still up, is up for grabs. Is up yeah. for grabs, but uh, I don't think they're going to play into a wild card game at Camden Yards. So that's right. I mean, I'm not trying to complain because obviously all wins and losses count the same no matter when you get them in the season. But and the Orioles already had their chance against those teams. But it just does seem a little bit frustrating. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I mean the Orioles had their own stretch of games against crappy teams recently, and. They didn't do anything with it. They they were uh, they were nine and eight over a seventeen game stretch where they only played above five hundred team for three games, which was that Arizona series where they should have won two out of three and they didn't. But so they were nine and eight over that seventeen game stretch, and uh, they were they were nine and five against the sub five hundred teams, I guess. But whatever, they should have they should have won way more games than they did. Now they're paying the price. They got to chase. They can. They might, but they do have to chase to get up there. Yep. It's going to be an uphill battle. So as we're getting close to our, our closing time on this podcast, Stacy and I were talking about a little something before we started recording about something the Orioles should do regarding giveaways. And uh, Stacy, if you just want to kind of launch in on that, because I think it's really a cool idea. Yeah, well, this was my idea. The other day um, I was at the at the baseball game and they gave away some Orioles license plate frames. They're, they're fine. There's nothing wrong with them, but they're not original or exciting or things that – or even a blip on anyone's radar for giveaways. Um, So I was thinking about that. And some of you uh, may know Grant Brisby, who writes uh, McCovey Chronicles, which is the Giants blog for SB Nation. And he is a fantastic writer. And that blog is huge. It's, it's, you know, fantastic. But one of the things that his blog Yeah, we could could dream of Camden Chat being as popular as McCovey Chronicles. Yeah, no. And we don't deserve it. We're no Grant Brisby. (laughs) But anyway, he... His blog, one of the things that they, like, you know, made happen was a Marco Scudero rain globe reenacting that one kind of uh, memorable part of the World Series that the Giants won when it was raining. And they showed Marco Scudero, like, holding his arms out to the side and his head facing the sky, just letting the rain fall on like a little kid. And 
they said, that would be a good idea. Let's make that, you know, wouldn't that be cool if that was a giveaway? And that got the ball rolling and they gave it away at the game. And uh, so my idea was a really cool off-season promotion would be, and so this is something that could also keep people interested in the off-season, kind of in the dull months of November, and is to have a contest where people submit their ideas for what the Orioles should have promos for in 2014. Yeah. And so they, it could be an original idea. It could be something that they thought was really cool that they saw at another stadium. It could be anything. And, you know, they would submit their, their ideas. And I don't know, the Orioles could pick one or three or five or zero, you know, whatever. You could have people but vote the, on like the top eight or yeah, something could, and, yeah, and they vote could, for yeah. two or something like that. Yeah, right. And then, so the winners would get on the day that their promotion is being given away box seats and they would get their name up on the scoreboard saying, you know, this promotion was brought to you by Mark Brown who thought of, you know, this amazing thing. I'm not going to think I, of anything that wins. I'm just going to tell everybody out there, right. That, that right. right. Well, cause we, listen, you and I know our limitations. Yes. Yeah. We are not, we are not that kind of creative person. But there, the, but there are a million people who are. Yeah. And I think that, it would be so fun because, and it would solve so many issues that we have with the Orioles. One being, we think that they're not creative they're not. and <laughs> they've proven that they're not creative yeah. or at least they're not interested in even trying to be the Orioles. Creative. The Orioles from a ticket and giveaway marketing standpoint are not creative. Right. This is what I mean. The marketing, We're not, not talking the about the itself. baseball team. We're talking right. About the, the, right. The, 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 the PR, the marketing, all of those guys, you know, they give away T-shirts. And let me tell you, I love my Nate McLeod T-shirt from this year. I think it was great. And I will give them props for that and for the Chris Davis T-shirt. But they're still just T-shirts, which is all that they pretty much ever give away. Yeah. And so I think you would keep people engaged. They wouldn't even have to think of their own promotion. They would just have to look at the ones that came in and decide which ones were awesome. And then, yeah, like you said, let the fans vote. They could narrow it down to a top 10 or a top 5 and let the fans vote. Yep. And then that way you would get one cool you know, interest in the team in the offseason, one cool um, promotion that you know people want because they voted on it. Think of how much people love voting for, like, the bob- the team bobblehead. Yep. You know, they people love that stuff. And you would get to give one or two or however many people end up being winners – a fantastic experience at the ballpark. The Orioles recognized you. The Orioles made you a part of their, their team, you know, and they gave you these great things and they put your name up on the big screen. They put you on the camera. They said, you know, this promotion brought to you by, and I think that would be just the coolest. It would be. So there's something we're going to throw out there. Orioles, we gave you that one for free. Unlike the, so many things you have not given us for free, but we gave (laughs) you that one for free. So, I mean, they they won't because they just show no interest in in doing that. But it would be really cool if they did. And uh, it would be very. I mean, that's cool. that's something they should really think about. Like they they get every now and again, they just have a decent promotion idea, like the Chris Davis home run derby discount. Yeah, that was cool. But they need to be having a cool idea like that, like every homestand, and not just like that's their one cool idea for the season. Right. And for people who say things like like, well, you know, like the Red Sox, they don't give anything away. They don't give anything away. They don't 
give discounts. They don't do anything. But people say things like, well, that's for losing teams. That's for, and that's not true. You need to look no further than the San Francisco Giants. Although they're losing this year, but they've been a successful team in recent years. They have won the World Series two of the last three years, and they have amazing promotions. And they give away 40,000 bobbleheads, not 15. And I think that, I don't think that team success needs to be linked to that kind of, you know, you, you don't give promotions because you can't keep get people in the door any other way. You give promotions because you want to get people in the door where they'll, they'll see that the Orioles are good or they might get off their couch on a Tuesday instead of watching it on Masson. And I don't know. It just... Like if people, like if people come team. out to get a bobblehead or whatever and they're there and the Orioles win and they have a good time and it's like a night when there's not a giveaway, it's like, man, I had a really good time when I went to Camden Yards that other time, and they'll just go. Yep, so that's my, my good idea for the for the year. So someday maybe the Orioles will think about that. They they just they aren't very good with giveaways, and I don't know why, but whatever. So Stacey, our time is winding down tonight. Do you have, uh, other than the giveaway idea, do you have any final comment on the Orioles at this moment on, uh, on nope. in the late hours of... August 22nd. No, I'm just uh, looking forward to this weekend. I think it's going to be stressful no matter what happens. But, you know, who knows? The Orioles could come out of it looking a lot better for the postseason. It'll really be good if they win two out of three. They they really need to win two out of three or I'm just going to be sad. But whatever. I'm, I'm sad a lot, so it doesn't matter. Like, anytime they lose, I'm sad. I don't. I don't know how to put into context. No, I'm sad. You're sad a I'm, lot. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not really sad a lot. I don't want anyone out there to be sad because I'm sad. I'm sad when they lose because, like, I, I, I'm just. I don't have. As we talked about earlier, I'm not used to being a fan of a good team. So it's like, Stacy, and we've talked about this before. We we don't know how to handle the losses yet when mm-hmm. they lose. Like, we just don't know how to put them in context. Because we're so afraid. Like every loss, even even after last year, every loss just makes it feel like, oh my God, here we go. Barely winning 70 games is coming back again, you know? That's the Orioles' fault. They did that to us. They did that to us for 14 years. But... Yeah, I, I don't I haven't I haven't figured out how to how to put all that in context yet. But seriously, they need to win two out of three this weekend. It it needs to happen. Because otherwise, the they're gonna wake up and the Yankees are gonna be ahead of them and they're just gonna be sinking. And it'll be like, well, okay, 85 wins is okay, but it's not the playoffs. And you know what? The playoffs were fun last year. I went to the I went to ALDS game one, and it was fun. They lost. Jim Johnson sucked in the ninth inning and they lost, but. It was fun that I was at a playoff game at Camden Yards. I would like to do that again. Mm-hmm. Maybe this year it'll happen, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if it will, but the Orioles, they really need to win two out of three at least to keep our hopes alive of that. And, well, Stacy, I don't know what their chances are, but they're a good team and they're capable of doing it, so that's that's all we can ask for. But Hopefully they they make something out of being capable of doing that, and then then they actually do it. Whether they will or not, I have no idea. But as as uh, as some men wise and not so wise like to say, that's why they play the games. <laughs> Women probably say that too. I don't want to be sexist. People people both wise and not wise say that's why they play the games. So yeah, I guess that's about all we've got for tonight. So if you've listened this far, thank you. We we enjoy doing this, and we hope you enjoy listening to us. If 
make sure to check out Stacy and I's writing and any of our any of the rest of our fine writers on CamdenChat.com for anything anything going on about the Orioles. We'll probably have something writing about it. So make sure to check us out. You can like us on Facebook. You'll see many of our posts linked there, and you don't even need to go to the website yourself, although you should. But it's facebook.com slash chat and give us a like just just because we like you. We do. Uh, and you can also follow us on Twitter at chat, uh, or you can follow me at EatmoreSK, E-S-S-K-A-Y, like the hot dogs, because that was my name on chat until very recently when I decided to go by my real name. So check us out on those places, because, uh, yeah, you'll see all of our, our Twitter thoughts. Uh, all of our articles will get linked on Twitter automatically. And Stacy, when they let her out from the Bobblehead Factory, will uh, will have her thoughts on the Orioles as well, and yeah, to mix it up with people. Your 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 section, what is it, three thirty six, whatever game experiences. Three thirty eight. Three thirty eight. Three thirty eight. Light from behind home plate in the upper deck, which are really pretty, nice seats. It's pretty nice up there. Yeah. With the what what was it, the old guy who didn't something about the old guy that was grumbling. Oh, there's an old man who's in front of us who's very cranky. Yeah. And he's a big fan. Like, he knows his stuff. Yeah. But whenever they, I mean, like, one runner gets on base, he's like, oh, are you kidding? Oh! It's great. But then he's happy when they win. Well, that's good. We're all happy when they win. I hope they'll make us happy for the rest of the year. You know, maybe they'll make us happy and get back in the playoffs. I, I, would, I, would, I would really like that. As would we all, obviously. So, yeah, that's all we've got for tonight. So, again, thank you for listening. And for my podcasting partner in crime, Stacey Fulkemer, I am Mark Brown. We are bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.